Okay, now we're ready. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks for coming. What? Oh, you're welcome. Sorry, I would talk to you, but everybody's watching me now, and that would be embarrassing. Okay, um, thank you all for coming back. I really am impressed at your stick to uh, in this. We are doing great. We are moving through our new acronym, and uh, I am excited about what word we're going to come up with. So um, with that in mind, let's pray, and uh, pray for a good word. I'm just kidding. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for being here with us tonight. Thank you for a church that uh, wants to know each other better and wants to know you better. Thank you for a place where you just you just always show up and uh, you reveal that you're happy with us, and that makes that makes that, that forms us into uh, a community uh, that I like being part of. Thank you. I pray that you'd be with us tonight. I pray that you would show us uh, what you're saying to the church. And I pray that this word would be encouraging and a blessing to all who hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's talk about where we are. Um, God has a plan. Most important thing, right? He is sovereign over history. Our history is not going who knows where. It's not chaos. Uh, it's not even going down into the dumps, not going into the trash. God has a plan to redeem this perfect world that he made that got ruined by sin and death. Uh, he wants to bring it back and bring it beyond perfection. So it's not just a garden, but it's a, it's a garden that's populated uh, by an innumerable multitude that no one can count. Um, and that's the city that we see in Revelation chapter 21. So that's the, that's the overarching thing, right? God is sovereign. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Um, may not feel like it at times. but And I, I do think that's important uh, for a lot of reasons. One is um, the, the prevailing kind of spirit, the mentality in the American church is that the world is about to be destroyed at any moment. And we really shouldn't care about it because God's going to zap all the Christians out. Then he's going to let everything go to pot. I don't really understand what he's going to do next. And then kind of destroy the world and we're all going to go to heaven. And it's very important that you understand that the world is not a temporary rest stop for us. Um, We're going to spend forever here. Uh, We're made of this stuff. This is our home uh, and it's... uh, it's going to be a lot better once death is removed from it. We are going to be a lot better once sin is removed from us and death is removed from us. Um, but we are, we're heading to a beautiful place. And, um, and it's here. We're going to make this place beautiful. And so, you know, nothing else, pick up your litter. Because if you don't pick it up now, we're going to pick, be picking it up in eternity. And I don't want to pick up your litter in eternity. i got other things to do. So, There. Will, you, will someone please tell my phone to stop ringing? Um, these watches, these watches that tell you get a text message, I, they're, they're a blessing and a curse. All right, so now that we have this overarching theme, God has a plan, we brought it down. And we said, okay, well, how does that affect us individually, right? And God's plan for our salvation individually, specifically, uh, and the first thing we, we saw was 
the context of our salvation, which is what? Correct. Radical corruption. Sorry, I don't have a lot of time for questions today. I don't like to just talk. Come on, somebody shoot out a, uh, a definition of radical corruption. Shout out. Every part of our being has been affected by sin. And specifically, what are we turned away from? We are turned away from God. Our minds do not see Him. Our minds do not understand Him. Our eyes do not see Him. Our ears do not hear. You know, Paul, uh, sorry. Jesus often says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, before, when, while we're in our sinful state, we don't have ears to hear. And so we, we, don't, we don't get it. Uh, Romans 3 is the most concise explanation of that, but there's many other ones. Jeremiah 16, uh, the heart is desperately wicked beyond all knowing. You hear a funny story? Yesterday, Monday, in my office, they're new here in the church. They're wonderful, and I'm very, very excited to have them. And he, um, just like all of you, um, but he he had a problem. He was he, he's been a minister. He's a minister for 20 years and um, had a pretty bad experience. I'm very, very glad that he's here. But um, he had to talk about this Calvinism stuff. Like, now, I don't know about this. The good thing is he was an Assembly of God pastor. And they get it. They don't know they get it. They don't use these terms. But they understand regeneration. They really do, being born again. And so as soon as I found that out, all I had to do was say, why did you believe? Well, the Holy Spirit showed me. He, he gave me ears and, opened, and changed my heart. I said, which came first, conversion or being born again? He thought it was a trick question. He said, no, if the Holy Spirit hadn't changed me, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have believed. Said, Congratulations, you're a Calvinist, and you didn't even know it. That's because he's, he reads the Bible. I mean, he, he knows his Bible, like, you know, the back of his hand, better than he knows the back of his hand. And, uh, and so it was just a very funny conversation. So, radical corruption. We, we are turned against God. We don't want to hear any of this. Um, that, that's just very true. Um, we're going to talk a lot about that again today, actually. And so, how is God going to save radically corrupt people? Well, first, he sets his love upon them. We have eternal love, right? Longer than there have been fish down in the ocean, higher than any bird ever flew. Longer than there have been stars up in the heavens, I've been in love with you. Foolish sentiment in any application except for God. God has actually been in love with you that long. Um, Before he created the world, you were his. He created the world and you were his his, 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 period. Um, Ephesians 1 describes that. Um, Ephesians 2 and 1 and 2. Deuteronomy 7. Uh, and anytime you see the place, anytime you see the play words chosen or predestined or elect, all those words mean the same thing, that God has picked us. He has set his love upon us. And it's an effective love, and he has no intention of, of letting us go. Um, Jesus says, all that the Father has given me, come to me. Uh, we're going to read that in just a minute. And then last week, 
was it just last week? Seems like longer. We talked about uh, what what some call uh, limited atonement. We don't like that term because it sounds pejorative. It is pejorative. Um, the people who came up with that name were saying it like it was an insult. Um, and there's nothing really limited about the atonement. It's perfect. Now, I called it definite redemption. I don't think that was the best terms. Okay, so we're going to change that. I think perfect atonement is better. What do you think about that? Which one do you like better? Perfect's positive, right? I mean, it's positive. It's perfect. I had somebody tell me last night, she, her life was changed by this phrase because she's a perfectionist. And she just realized she's already perfect. And she can quit trying to perfect herself, which is good. Perfect atonement. So we're going with REP, rep. Jesus has once and for all perfected the saints who are being perfected. When Jesus offered his perfect sacrifice, he sat down. He was done. The work was complete. He's done. He sat down. Uh, So important that we don't have to do anything to perfect it. We don't have to add anything to it. He fully and completely and perfectly saved his sheep. And yes, that does, if you want to just press it all the way to the annoying, pejorative, argumentative end, it does mean that Jesus did not die for the people who are in everlasting torment. It does mean that. So is it accurate to say that Jesus did not die for everyone? Yes, sort of. It's sort of accurate. But that's not a limitation. It's perfect. His offer's open, um, but we don't. And there are some, well, I shouldn't even say that, because there are some common grace is also a gift of God's goodness that is based upon the atonement as well. So, I'm sorry, didn't mean to confuse you. Going on, moving on. Today, we are talking about, so uh, one of the things I want you to see here is that this is a Trinitarian thing. Like, this is our this is our contribution. Yay, that's us. We are there. And then you have the Father electing us, and you have the Son perfecting us. Ooh, I like that rhyme. Oh, well, I have nothing for the Holy Spirit. So, now we have the Holy Spirit awakening us. Okay? And what we're calling uh, effectual calling. The Holy Spirit does something. Why do we call it effectual calling? Because there's two kinds of calling in the Bible. There's the universal call. Can you think of a place where there's a universal call in the Bible? All over. Just name one. If John 3, 16, not quite a call, but it's a great verse, and we're about to get there. Whosoever believes, which is absolutely true, whosoever believes will have everlasting life. Absolutely true. There is no quantif- uh, qualifier to that. Um I'll come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. No qualifiers, right? G, uh, Isaiah 55, if anyone is hungry, let him come to me. 
Why are you spending your money on food that does not satisfy? Come to me and eat. I will give you true food and true drink. Um, Jesus, all of his calls are, are, are unqualified. Jesus, uh, God says of, of Old Testament Israel, all day long I held my hands open to you. Jesus says of, of Jerusalem in the New Testament, why didn't you come to me? I would have gathered you under my wings like chicks. You didn't, you would not come. Okay? Universal call doesn't work. Why not? Ah, you're right. Yeah. The answer is always radical corruption. Because um, we don't want, we don't hear it. And, and what we think we see um, about God, what we think we know about God, which is very untrue, is awful. We want to be away from him, completely away from him. So, what does he do? He sends out his Holy Spirit. Now, we have Jesus telling this parable of the great feast. Remember the great feast? This is what, this, this is what the great feast parable is about. God offers, there's an invitation. The man's throwing a huge feast, a wedding feast for his son. Nobody comes. Maybe it's for his daughter. I don't remember. Nobody comes. Everybody's got their own excuses. I have a wife. I bought a couple of cows. Got to go check them out. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody comes. And so he says to his servants, go out, beat the bushes, compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. And that is what's happening here. God sends his Holy Spirit to us to compel us to come in. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How does he do that? The traditional phrasing for that is irresistible grace. Don't like that phrase because it kind of sounds like we're saying that we're trying to resist and God's dragging us into heaven against our will. And that's not how it works. He changes our will. uh, Grace is irresistible for the same reason Bianca finds me irresistible. Right? I mean, how could you resist this? You all do a great job of resisting. Uh, But God blinded her, right? And she, for some whatever reason, she found me irresistible. I'm thankful for that. Uh, But I didn't, it doesn't mean I forced her to date me against her will. Like her, her heart went that direction. God changes our hearts so that we desire him. Okay? God changes our hearts so that we desire him. He changes our minds so that we see him. He changes our wills so that we are able to embrace him. All right. Got this? Everybody got the handout? We're about to go through it. All right, so this is kind of how salvation works. And this is where this, this point is uh, kind of where the rubber meets the road for a lot of people. The question is, what comes first? Um, being born again or being regenerate? Is there another word for it? There's only two I can think of. Being made alive or given new life, kind of re- uh, made alive. Okay, these are all things that have to happen to you, right? You have to be born again. We're about to read that in, in John, John chapter 3. 
And then conversion. Or being saved. Or having faith. Or believing. Now, everybody agrees, every Christian in the world agrees that these two things have to happen. And they usually go together. The question that we're trying to answer tonight is, which comes first? And the answer that we believe the Bible teaches, the answer that I believe the Bible teaches and the Reformed faith believes the Bible teaches is that we are born again first, and that enables us to see the truth of the gospel. And before we're born again, before we're made alive, we are dead and we don't care about the gospel. So uh, if you want to kind of have a picture in your mind, I think I've used this before, but we are all dead in sin. That's what it means to be radically corrupted. We are dead in sin. We are lying in a morgue. We are naked. We are in a drawer. The morgue is on fire. We don't care that the morgue is on fire. Why not? Because we're dead. Dead people don't care if the morgue's on fire or not. Dead people don't care if they're naked. Dead people don't care about anything because they're dead. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and revives us. And all of a sudden we're awake and we see that we're naked. And he holds out the righteousness of Christ and we cover ourselves with it. And we see that the building's burning. And he says, follow me and you will live. And we follow him. We follow him. And the reason why we don't burn up in the building is because we got up and ran out with him. Right? We believed. But the question is, why did we do that? Why did some people not believe and some people do believe? I had a set of twins at at Delta State. Um, They were were interesting for a lot of reasons. I won't go into all of them. But... uh, one of the interesting things about them was they 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 love the Lord. I mean, they they wanted to know more about him. The whole four years they were there, they were really leaders in my ministry because they just wanted to know more about Jesus. And uh, the interesting the thing that's interesting about that is their brother didn't at all. Just a very typical Mississippi Delta kind of hard-hearted uh, kid. I, I don't know idea what he's doing now, but he just didn't get. He just thought it was foolishness and one I they always you know were talking to him about uh, the gospel and he just looked at him one night and goes that's great for you I just don't believe any of that I don't believe it at all um, I had a I had a, a professor at Vanderbilt his, he taught history of American thought uh, he liked philosophy and liked history so that was his Expertise, and he was an expert. knew more knew as much about Jonathan Edwards as any human. He wrote books about him. Wrote books about uh, Charles Hodge and Reformed theology. When you took his class, you had to read hundreds of pages of John Calvin because that's what formed the early American thought more than anything else. The writings of John Calvin. And uh, I went into his office once, and I'm like, "I'm one of these Calvinists that you're talking about." And he said, "Great. What do you need?" And I, I was like having a crisis of faith. And I said, am I crazy? And he said, no, I think you got a pretty legitimate worldview. I would say it's the most sane and, and succinct uh, worldview there is. 
I just don't believe it. Fascinating, right? Fascinating. Understood the faith, complimented me for having it, but I just don't believe it. Not, not born again. He's not born again. There's nothing you, you can say about that. So let, let's talk about it a little bit. Let me read to you from John chapter 3. Jesus answered, this is Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by, in the darkness, um, probably because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's coming to Jesus. Um, and he says, True, uh, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Y'all understand, like, Nicodemus isn't an idiot, right? Like, he gets it. He actually does. And he's just saying, okay, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? You don't control this. You don't control it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, if you try to do it out of your own effort, it's just going to be flesh. That's not what we're talking about. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um. By the way, this has a happy ending. Nicodemus does come around. I don't know if you know that, but he uh, he actually defends Jesus in the Sanhedrin once and then is with Joseph when they go and get his body and bury it. But what Jesus is saying here is you ab- the, the, this, this rebirth is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. You will not believe without it. You will not believe without it. Um. Because you just don't see it. Because you're dead in your sins. So it's necessary. I want you to get that. All right? We're going to read about that again. Look at John chapter 6. Uh, if you have it, if you don't, I'll read it to you. Uh, if you brought a Bible, you can welcome to turn with me if you want. Uh, John 6, uh, Jesus is teaching. He's out by the, the Sea of Galilee. He feeds people 5,000. He feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves. People aren't convinced. Very weird. You'd think that's pretty impressive. But they weren't convinced. They come to him and they say, just give us a sign. Okay. Just give us a sign. Moses gave his people bread in the wilderness to eat. I really don't know what's going on there. I think they didn't know where the bread came from. That's the only thing I can possibly really surely they weren't that dumb, but who knows? Anyway, um, you know, Moses gave his people bread in the wilderness to eat. He says, everybody who ate that bread died. If you eat the bread that I'm giving you, which is my flesh, you will live forever. And they say, that is dumb. And they leave. And he runs off 4,988 people. He had a crowd of 5,000. He's left with 12. And uh, as they're grumbling and they're getting angry, he says to them, Don't grumble among yourselves. This is verse 43. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught from God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. You, you will not come. You can't come. You don't have the ability to come unless the Father draws you. He says it again in, uh, in verse 66. Um, they're all leaving. They've all left. And Jesus says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And he said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Why do you believe? Because Jesus chose us. Because it has been granted to us by the Father. Um, it's, it's absolutely necessary. It's impossible for us to come without it because we're radically corrupt. Because it makes no sense to us until he changes us. So how does he change us? He does three things. I've given you the definition uh, that the Westminster Confession um, wrote. It's in the Shorter Catechism, and it's, I think it's the best question and answer in the Shorter Catechism. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, opening our eyes or enlightening our minds to the, to the uh, views of Christ, and convicting us uh, and uh, renewing our will, opening our minds and our hearts and our wills, renewing our wills. He does persuade and enable us to embrace Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Um, the first thing he does is he convicts us of our sin. You remember the first day you felt that? It's a bad day, wasn't it? You just all of a sudden you realize that everything's your fault. Um, but you've lived your whole life, and everything's been fine, and everything that's ever bad has happened to you has been somebody else's fault. And you've got a really good reason if you'll just explain to you, I can explain to you how every bad thing that ever happened to me was somebody else's fault. And then all of a sudden, bam, your eyes get opened. Uh, what do I quote here? Acts 2. Oh, my gosh. Acts 2 is such a painful passage. Remember what happens in Acts 2? What's, the Holy Spirit comes down, and what happens? What are the, how the disciples respond? Right. Peter preaches the gospel for the first time. Uh, someone preaches the gospel, and Peter goes out to, into the streets of Jerusalem and um, around the temple, and everybody's kind of freaking out because all these people are speaking with different tongues, and the, the, the Pharisees, the leaders say, well, these guys have to be drunk. And Peter says, we're not drunk. It's only 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And um, or ten o'clock in the morning, I think, and, and which is just a hilarious response. Um, and then uh, he starts preaching. He preaches the gospel. Now, 
How long after Jesus' death is he preaching the gospel? Forty days. Not very long. A month ago. Happened a month ago. Who is he preaching to? Specifically, what relationship do they have to Jesus' crucifixion? They did it. Right? This is not new information. They were fully aware that they had crucified the, the Jesus. They did it. This is the same crowd that's yelling, crucify him, crucify him. We don't want Barabbas. We want to see him die. And so Peter just tells them what they did. You, with your hands, crucified him. This one that David prophesied about and Isaiah prophesied about. He is the Savior, and you crucified him. And what does it say? You remember? They were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They felt it the first time. And they cried out what? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? These same people who were spitting on Jesus, cursing Jesus, mocking Jesus, making fun of Jesus, what must I do to be saved? cut to the heart. They're convicted of their sins. This is, this is the Jimmy Buffett moment, right? I don't know if y'all know this. People who are my age and older, you know, Jimmy Buffett's fallen out of favor. Younger people don't like him. I'm very disappointed to hear this. You really should. It's funny. He's a funny guy. But, uh, you know, Margaritaville, there's a progress in Margaritaville, right? Um, the first verse, you know, some people claim that there's a woman to blame. But I know it's nobody's fault, right? And then he sings the second verse, and the chorus changes. Some people claim there's a woman to blame, but I know it could be my fault. And then he gets to the final end of the song, and he says, some people claim there's a woman to blame, but I know it's my own damn fault. That is when you're ready for Christ, and that will never come. It's pretty amazing that he's saying it, but... Um, that's what happens when people get, get saved. They figure out that it's their own fault. Um, the best uh, par- uh, parable example of this is the story of the lost son. Right? The, uh, the younger brother goes off, spends all his money, wastes it on wine, women, and song. Or, in, to quote uh, a friend of mine, he spent it on wine, women, and song, and he, he wasted the rest. Uh, get it? So that wasn't wasting. Um, so, okay, I got to tell you the whole context one day. Um, if you knew the story, you would laugh. So he's, he's feeding the pigs. He's, got, he's doing whatever it takes. And, and the text says, he came to himself. He came to himself. Beautiful picture. And he realizes, I'm here because I ran away. I'm here because I ran away. My my father's slaves have it better than me. I I could not have thought, you know, he says when I was with my father, all I could think about was getting away. This is so many people's testimony, right? All I could think about was getting away, and I ran away, and now I realize it would be better to be his slave than to be out here on my own. So it came back. It goes back. Now, there's a great question about Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. Parable of the lost sheep, right? Shepherd has 99 sheep. He realizes one is missing. What does he do? 
goes and finds it and brings it back and rejoices and throws it apart. And then you have a woman who has ten coins. And she gets up one morning, she only has nine. She's lost one. What does she do? She turns the house over until she finds it. When she finds it, throws a big party. And then you have a father who has two sons. And one of them goes away. Comes back on his own. And the question is, why didn't the father go looking for his lost son? And the answer is, he did. Which son was lost? The one who refused to come to the party. He's mad and he's pouting and the father comes out to him and says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Will you come and take it? Will you enjoy it? And then, see, the point is that the answer to that's up to you. You can take it or not. Um, so, anyway, just a little fun. All right, number three. Convicts us of our sin. It's our own dang fault. Number three. Then what does he do? He opens our eyes to Jesus. We see it. Well, what seems so clear, all of a sudden, I mean, what seems so weird, all of a sudden becomes clear. Is that what comes next? Yes, opening our eyes to the knowledge of Christ. Um, look at, if you have a Bible, turn to Second First Corinthians 1. Uh, this is a great text. Um, it's just a great text. It says in verse 18, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That's just craziness, foolishness. Uh, if you ever, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of chatter out there in the Twitterverse and the uh, Metaverse and all those other verses about these, uh, I think these really cool commercials about Jesus, he gets us. I actually really liked those. Um, and if you read the comments, like, you just buckle up, right? Because people think it's foolish. And they're going to say that it's foolish. And they're going to say things like, if you are going around talking to your imaginary friend, you're mentally ill. Why would they say something so hateful? They don't see it. They don't see it. And you didn't see it either until the Holy Spirit changed your heart. It was folly. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning, discerning I will thwart. And then he goes down in chapter 2, and he makes the same point again, uh, how it's, folly, he says this, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And then he says this, the natural person does not accept things from the spirit of God, for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And you need to have this understanding when you're thinking about the world, right? There's, there's all these, well, there's a lot of talk about culture wars and things, that, and they're, 
a lot of reasons why they're wrong. But one of them is, it's, is I think Christians act as if unbelievers know better and just refuse to obey what they know. They don't. They can't see it. They really think this stuff is foolish. And so instead of arguing and yelling at them, we need to be praying for them. Because the, the wind might blow. You never know. This is actually good news if you have unbelieving friends. Right? It's not your job to convince them. You can't. You've probably figured that out by now. But God can and will. If you pray for them long enough, He will. He's not going to do it when you want to. <sighs> he never does it when we want to. But He does it. Sometimes it's way occasionally but usually it takes a while and sometimes you know he's just funny the way he works but he opens our eyes to the beauty of christ all of a sudden we see it and we can't resist it and what you know it's like uh buttercup and princess bride right wesley's there every day wesley's there every day as you wish as you wish as you wish and then all of a sudden her eyes are open and she's like oh he's the most handsome man in the world and then he leaves uh and that's shame he opens our eyes, and fourthly, he renews our wills. We were dead, and now we're not dead anymore. We are now able. We, before, then, before now, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We couldn't have come to him if he'd wanted to. Didn't want to, but if we had wanted to, we couldn't have. And, and now we are alive. He has made us alive. Um, Obviously, I'm going to quote Ephesians 2 every time I get a chance. Um, I would encourage you to look at all these passages. Acts 13, 48 through 49 is uh, Paul preaching. And uh, what I love about this is it's almost a little afterthought. Uh, Luke writes, um, All those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Interesting. That's an interesting placement, isn't it? It doesn't say everyone who believed received an appointment to eternal life. All those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Um, Matthew 16, 16 through 18, that's the parable of the great feast. Um, then Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. Now, I've, been, I've quoted this every week, right? Y'all know this one by now, right? What does it say? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but what? God made us alive because... Not yet. Why did he make you alive? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Ah, that's a good answer. He made us alive together with Christ, raised us with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Ah, that's good stuff. All right, and and uh, Titus 3, 3 through 7, which I don't have memorized. So it must be good if I put it in here. Titus 3, 3 through 7. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Isn't that good? All right, that's it. That's all I got for you today. Sorry. We won't be finished 10 minutes early. Any questions? Any comments? Any smart remarks? Any people you want to pray for now with renewed vigor? Hope you know how to pray. Lord, open their eyes, convict their hearts, renew their wills. All right. Go. Mm -hmm. I think you will. And you, you had to be persistent. What if? Why would somebody be praying for him if they weren't? <laughs> um, I do. I think God answers prayer. Um, it's not automatic. I can't absolutely tell you that for certain. But um, most people who are getting prayed for eventually get, end up getting saved. It might be 40 years. Um, I had a student come running out of a, a shuttle to my intern... This is a great example of all these things, actually. Um, he came out, came running out of a shuttle to my intern. He says, you're the RUF guy, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, I was, con I was saved last weekend. You want to hear how? Like, sure. So he had gotten mad at his roommate, took a full bottle of Maker's Mark, slammed it into the wall to make his roommate mad because it was his roommate's bottle. All the glass came back into his hand. Uh, so he's bleeding. He goes next door to these girls who've been praying for him and been nice to him, they take the glass out, wrap his hand with a bandage, and he just walks off. Takes off walking out in the woods, which isn't hard to find in Starkville. And uh, he's walking down railroad tracks, and he starts thinking, and he's looking at his hand, and his hand's bleeding through the bandage, and he says, this is, this is my life. Every time I've tried to do something to hurt somebody else, it's just come back and hurt me. I, all, every time I've done anything wrong, I'm the one who ends up getting hurt. And he and he's, had gone to church a little bit until he's like six. And he started, but he remembered. He remembered the Ten Commandments. And he's like, you know what? When my dad committed adultery, that wrecked my life. And he starts remembering how, like, when people, like, the Ten Commandments make sense. And uh, And then he's like, I think I'm just stuck. And he goes, wait a minute. That's why Jesus died. Like, all these things happened for him in like five minutes. Right? I, that's not how, usually how it happens, but it did. I and all of a sudden, he, he just he builds a cross in the woods. He kneels down and gives himself to Jesus. Goes back to his room. He was a, a Mississippi State distributor for cocaine. He had just got a big old, he'd just gone to Memphis the day before and got a big old thing of it. Came back out into the woods where he did the cross and he tried to burn it but cocaine doesn't burn so he threw it into a creek and uh, then he went quit cold turkey which is a bad move but he survived it the Lord kept him alive and he's doing great he lives in, uh, in Ohio now so you know I, I do think I do believe it I do believe in, uh, and if you continue to pray there's a reason why you continue to pray and because uh, you won't you won't pray for things consistently that the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to pray for. And I don't, you know, why does the Lord use prayer to accomplish things? I don't know. He likes to use us. He likes to let us be part of the game. 
I mean, I used to pray when I was in fourth grade. I prayed and prayed and prayed for my dad to get converted. And then I quit praying for 20 years, and then he got converted, and then I was mad about it. So, you know, you never know. It was more than 20 years. It was 40 years. So. Any other questions? Julie, you always ask a good question. You don't have anything for me? Uh, I know. You're working. I can see you working. You didn't become a universalist last week, did you? Okay, I was worried. All right, let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Uh, We have nothing to offer. It's not because we were righteous, but because of your mercy, you came to us and you opened our eyes and you convicted our spirits. You gave us a new heart. And you enabled us to, to see you and to do what we had always wanted to do and we didn't know it. So what we always wanted to do was be with you. And so we came to you. Thank you. And Father, we all have people right now in our minds and in our hearts we would love to see turn toward you. And Lord, I just don't believe that we would want that so badly if you didn't intend to save them. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you would Encourage someone in this room this very week. Would you save somebody that we're praying for even now? It's in the perfect, precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.